0: The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 139. Uh, may the Lord give us ears to hear his word and to uh, embrace and believe it in faith. From Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as this day, for darkness is as light with you. You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: A uh, quick commentary of mine on um, present affairs, seemingly kind of a crisis of identity uh, in our country where people are struggling to attempt to come to grips with who they are. For most people, that's defined in their, their work life. Their work life defines them. They have meaning and purpose there. And yet even that sometimes is profoundly um, broken. I, I read on occasion with sadness of uh, uh, recently the number of Border Patrol agents who have taken their own lives. I guess things are out of control, and indeed they are out of control, and because they can't control it, who would expect them to? Uh, but because they can't, they take their own lives. Uh, happens a lot with servicemen, particularly those who come back from the intensity of combat. Uh, much changes about their lives. They, I guess, struggle with uh, dealing with it. And so, uh, because they're so tethered to this world, but things get broken, they get profoundly broken. And yet, when we read the Psalms, We are tethered not to this world, but to the majesty of God. He is the one that defines us. Uh, And His beauty defines us as well. Because in His beauty, He made us. And so, everything about our identity is tethered to the greatness and the majesty of God. And David is writing about just that. The fact that his life, in the midst of trouble, is tied to God's loyalty to him and conversely it evokes his return loyalty to God. So God's knowledge, presence, and creation of David, more importantly of us as Christians, cause us to align ourselves with the way of God and to petition God to help us to continue in it. Easy to go astray, so God come and help me that I might continue in the way of God. The reason I started using the shorter catechism this morning to begin our worship is because our text this morning is effusive of the importance of the divine attributes in defining who we are. Uh, and they also are important to... Uh, To remind us, while the world sometimes is seemingly out of control, God is never out of control. And if we belong to him through Jesus Christ, our redeemer, then we should find our comfort, peace, and joy in him. Uh, We live in a fallen world, but God has recovered us, has he not? And that recovery is so beautiful and majestic, it should bind our hearts to him. The setting, I believe, of this text is a bit nebulous, but perhaps it comes from verses 19 to 22, uh, where David is being troubled by outside men and women. Um, He calls them wicked, he calls them disloyal, and he calls them his enemies. Well, they beset us as well. So what's the answer? As in everything in life, God is the answer. Well, let's look at the answer. Verses one to six. David describes God as one who knows us completely. He begins, he searches and knows us. The first verb is used of miners searching tons and tons of ore to extract something precious, a precious metal or a precious stone. David, therefore, is reminding us that God's knowledge of us is personal and it's also deeply intimate. Uh, Reminded of uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, words in Romans chapter 8 and verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul is teaching us there that the Spirit prays for us and His prayers are linked to the knowledge that the Father has of our needs and our expectations. And His prayers are help for us all along the way to take us into glory. Based upon the Spirit's knowledge of us. The Father's knowledge of us. You know, we sometimes uh, get caught up in the notion that no one is aware of my needs. Well, you know Christ your Savior? He is. He is. Intimately aware of them all. And he's also in prayer for God the Father to work, to see you to glory. And isn't it interesting, the Spirit praying and the Father always answers the prayers of the Great Spirit as a measure of our hope. Uh, Remind us of The importance of God's knowledge of us and to pray according to the infinite knowledge of God. God understands all of our thoughts and totality of our activities from eternity past. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. And He predestined us as sons through adoption through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. God's grace to us. Making us His sons. Simply according to His good pleasure. David says of this knowledge is too vast for him. It encloses uh, him about before him and behind him to the left and to the right. And that God has set his hand upon him, uh, meaning that God is the controlling influence of our lives. So we're not just wanderers in this universe bouncing like a ball in a pinball machine off of different events in life. The hand of God is upon us. Uh, causes David to praise God. Let's look at that praise. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. It transcends David's ability to grasp and to comprehend it it does the same for us. Think about it. Before the world were even framed, before you had even been born, before you had done anything good or bad, God chose you to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. How can that be? Everything about life, God, we, 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 we based everything on a merit system, do we not? We get the promotion because we were smarter than someone else. Uh, we get moved to the front of the line because maybe we did something better. God doesn't buy into any of that. He chooses us simply based upon the sovereign good pleasure of his will. It pleased him to choose us. Totally unworthy, without any merit whatsoever. If you don't understand that, you're in good company. But that's the truth and the majesty of Scripture according to the simplicity and the majesty, the beauty of the good pleasure of the will of God. The wonderment leaves David somewhat breathless. It should evoke the same in our lives. It's a reminder that he loves us intensely, totally, comprehensively. And that We matter to Him. Sometimes the world disappoints us, breaks us, causes us pain and sorrow. Remember, God's love is upon us from beginning to end. And we matter to Him intensely. Uh, Because of Jesus Christ, we are His sons. How can there any be greater expression of importance in the fact that we matter than that we are the sons of God through Jesus Christ? I know many of you are parents. I certainly am. We have an intense affection and loyalty to our sons and daughters. We'll multiply that times infinity. And that's how much you matter to God. In a measured sense, David is saying, because God is so loyal to me, I need to be loyal to Him. In verses 7 to 12, uh, David expresses the omnipresence of God, that God's presence is always with us. It's defined by rhetorical questions. Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? You know what a rhetorical question is. David is saying, I can't, and neither can you. Signifying the imminence of God in our lives. We cannot go anywhere to flee from His presence. Remember 25 or so years ago, I was reading a article that attracted me in Reader's Digest. It's about a, uh, I believe it was a Marine, could have been a Navy uh, sailor uh, on an aircraft carrier. And he couldn't sleep, so he gets up at night and goes on the fantail of the carrier. And uh, I don't know a great deal about aircraft carriers. I've been on a few, mostly static presentations of carriers that have been long since been retired. But a massive door swings open and, throws him into the ocean. I mean, they're not going to know he's gone until they... I don't know what the Navy does on aircraft carriers. They take role. In the Army, we had formations. Never been a sailor. So, but I presume they have something to that end. Some type of formation. I mean, here it is in the middle of the night, cast into the ocean. Uh, Well, I've been through that training where you take off your trousers and you tie the pant legs and you throw it to capture some air and there you hold it. How long does that last? (laughs) Not very long, let me tell you. He does that over and over and over again. Imagine your arm just becoming just numb to the pain of over and over and over again. There he is, cast in the middle of the ocean. No one knows he's there except As providence would have it, there was a fishing vessel, a small fishing vessel, that saw him and rescued him. Took him on board. Took him to their small galley. And I believe, again, forgive my fading memory, I believe they were Portuguese fishermen. He didn't understand Portuguese to be sure. But they had a picture over their galley wall. It was of Christ. They pointed to that picture as their way of telling that marine or sailor that it was Christ who rescued him. And in a certain sense, you're just like that person cast about on stormy winds. But he belonged to Christ. He always rescues his own. I don't know whether the person was a Christian or not. I just know the sense that the Portuguese sailors were attempting to convey to him that Christ saved him from a watery grave. And Christ always rescues his own. It's the brilliance of the majesty of the omnipresence of God. I mean, you could be lost in the Pacific Ocean and no one would know where you are except God. Because God knows everything. It's always with his own. Because he loves his own. And we matter to him immensely. There's a vertical merism expanding the reality. If I go to heaven or to my grave, God, you're there. Obviously, there are hypotheticals. You know, David and neither can we become rocket man and go to heaven. But it's just a hypothetical that intends to greater reality. If he could go that high and then go to the grave, God would be with him. There's another merism that's horizontal, just as magnificent. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west, as you know. If we could travel at the speed of light, like the dawn, or go west to the depths, in David's case, to the Mediterranean, God would be there for us. The ancient Near East, the sea was a place of chaos and evil. And yet, even there, God is with His people. He says, even in danger, God leads me. Interesting that this verb is used in Psalm 23.3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His namesake. That's the Son of God. Acknowledging that the sons of God are being guided by God in the path of righteousness for His namesake. What a beautiful expression. God doesn't say, Well, you've come to me, good luck, I hope you make it. You know my thoughts about luck. I don't believe in luck. I believe that there's a sovereign God. And our destiny from beginning to end is in his hands. It's a reality, if you will, of Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. As many as are the sons of God, these are being led by the Spirit of God. That's what God does for all of His sons. He leads His sons and daughters because they are His sons and daughters. He purchased them. More intensely, His his hand lays hold of us even in the most remotest of places Verse 10, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. Both of these verbs are used in a very, very beautiful psalm to me, specifically Psalm 73, verses 23 and 24. You know the context. Asaph, he's very troubled by the fact that the wicked seemingly always seem to win. They seem to always get the promotions. Uh, They seem to always get ahead. and It's beginning to bother Asaph. And yet, he goes to church and he hears a sermon. And he writes in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thy hand is taken hold of my right hand. And with thy counsel thou wilt guide me. And afterwards, receive me to glory. And that's what catches Asaph over the prosperity of the wicked. The hand of God. Guiding him to glory. You can think of all the riches you want to in this world. Nothing compared to the glory of God where God takes his sons and daughters. The third hypothetical in verses 11 to 12 speaks of darkness. Darkness in many cases in the scriptures is a time of danger and evil. But that's, that's our reference point, not God's. God is always light. Darkness doesn't matter to God. The divine reality is God is light, and therefore nothing can harm us. In other words, nothing can separate us from God, not even the darkness. David excludes every possibility that something can divide divide us from the majesty of God. Because his affections for us are so immense and grand. And there's a turning point there. David is implicitly telling us that God is loyal to us. Therefore, we should be loyal to Him. Isn't this the theology of the Apostle Paul? Romans chapter 8. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. All the forces of evil arrayed against us. We cannot be separated. We are the sons of God. Verses 13 to 18, David turns to the uh, creative power of God and the providence of God as a controlling influence in our lives. And he begins by stating something that, again, is incredibly majestic, uh, that God created our inner beings. If you will, he wove us in the womb. Look at verse 13. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. We have this great question in our country, do we not? Think of, think of this text when you ponder someone trying to end a pregnancy other than divine providence. God as, if you will, the master craftsman putting us together in the sense that we are greater than all of the majesty of the art and the Louvre in Paris. The great tapestries that you sometimes see if you ever have the occasion to go to Europe and go to the great majestic English manors and castles. Kind of take your breath when you look at them, but then you think of the fact that God so wove you in your mother's womb as a piece of beautiful art to display His creative power. At work in our gestation, and the majesty of His presence and omniscience. I mean, I get it that some people have a tragic confusion over their identity. Why am I here? Is there any meaning to my life? Guess what? We matter. And so does God. Our soul knows that the divine presence is stamped upon us. And that body and soul, we belong to Him. Essential to all of the theology of creation and providence is ownership and divine right. Application is uh, the duty to proclaim and live because we are His. I'm tragically ironically bemused by people trying to recreate themselves by doing certain things to their bodies. Does that say something about their thoughts about who God is? Well, they're doing it because to them there is no God. But we know there is. And we're not the product of nature and time and chance. We're not a mistake. And our intimate relationship with God before we were even born is purposeful, because God always acts purposefully. We're not like that ball in the pinball machine, just seemingly, randomly bouncing from here to there. It's a testimony of these verses. David speaking of the majesty of God and what it means to be His Son. That our beings are so intricate and beautiful that time and chance are excluded That's the cause of our creation and birth. Such beauty cannot come from nothingness. Furthermore, God ordained all of our days before we were even born. Look at verse 16. Thine eyes have seen My unformed substance, and in Thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for Me, when as yet there was not one of them. The figure here is quite majestic. In your book, they were all written. It's a figure of speech reminding us that God's decrees encompass everything. Of course, God doesn't have books. He doesn't write books. God doesn't need books. We need books so we can learn. God doesn't learn. He knows everything because He decreed everything. That's so difficult for us to comprehend. We need figures of speech like there's a book. And in that book, particularly the book of the Lamb's Book of Life, because of Christ, His work, because of the kind intention of the will of God, our names are there. And God has decreed all of our days. Because God decrees, everything that he decrees will come to pass. Thank God. And therefore, while seemingly things appear to be out of control, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. I belong to God. I matter. He knows where I am. He formed me. He will work it out. It's exactly the theology of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8. God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to His purposes. Second Timothy uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse 19. Timothy or Paul, Paul is writing Timothy. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, the Lord, knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Beautiful compression of God's sovereignty and our duty and responsibility, as well as God's ability to help us fulfill what is our duty and responsibility. Grace and duty, incredible. It is a reminder, since God is loyal to us, we should be loyal to him. Reciprocal. This theology is, you might expect, widely rejected in our day. We reject God's omniscience. We reject the fact that he is omnipotent. Uh, even in the church, we have this strange notion that God needs us. My friend, if God needed us, He wouldn't be God. Uh, he didn't need to create us. He did. He didn't need to make us His sons. He did. He didn't need to send His Son to make us His sons, but He did. All because of the kind, sovereign, good pleasure of His will. The majesty of God reminding us of a majestic God. And therefore, the joy and the delight of belonging to a God of all majesty and grace and wonderment. I understand the challenge of fully comprehending it, but it draws our hearts to something that's incredibly important for each of us in this day, in that we are significant. Because we are gods. Reminds us of divine providence in preserving and governing us. It's also the great comfort of our lives because there is no chance or mistakes and all things are working together for our good. It is true, and I remind you of the fuller sense of Romans chapter 8 for those who are called according to his purpose. But even that is the grace of God. That he calls us according to his purpose. And therefore his calling is purposeful. He will make all things work together for good. And David is telling us this is exactly who we are and what we do. Because of who God is and what God does. That our tethering in the world is not to present circumstances, our government, or this, or that, or it is that we are tethered to God. And because of Him, we have meaning and purpose, significance. He says as much. David does. How precious and vast are your thoughts, the vast sum of them. David, in that sense, is lost in the wonderment of the attributes of God. They are innumerable. And David meditates upon them and awakens us to the reality that uh, he, is, he is with God. And so are we. Notice verse 18. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Incredible. The, the effect of this theology is going to cause David to petition God in prayer. Many in the church have uh, bought into the notion that doctrine and theology don't matter. I mean, that's something you guys learn at seminary, so take a few classes and don't bring in here. Uh, but that's a tragedy of the American church. Doctrine and theology is immensely practical. Think of Psalm 139. David is bouncing off of all of the great attributes of God because he's surrounded by enemies, verses 19 to 22. And he knows that God is with him. He knows that God will protect him. He knows that God will keep him and won't lose him. Based upon what? Some dream? No, the attributes and the doctrine of who God is. God is infinite holy, majestic. And He is the One who in the sovereign good pleasure of His will made us His sons and daughters. That's why we study doctrine and theology in our church. Because in the simple majesty of telling and reminding us of who God is, we are reminded of who we are. Tethered to Him. And because He matters, we matter. And because He matters when things are seemingly out of control, perhaps even our emotions on a dark day in our lives, what recovers us is who God is. And that we are tethered to Him as His sons and daughters. Another reason that theology is so immensely practical is that really it's what causes us to pray. Uh, David in verses 23 and 24 is going to pray and ask God to keep on working in his life. Why do we pray? I mean, we know, because God knows everything, then we're not teaching God anything. When I tell God I'm in trouble in my life, I'm not educating Him. It's that in the process of my prayer, I'm embracing the attributes of God. And embracing the attributes of God and the majesty of prayer. There is a changing effect on our lives to comfort us and give us peace. Remind us of the joy of the faith. So theology and doctrine is immensely practical. So much so that David's going to pray based upon it. In the previous context, what have I been describing? The attributes of God. His omnipresence, His omnipotence. And so David is moved to pray. Verses 19 to 24. He petitions God for help in being loyal to God. And he petitions God to help him, to enable him to continue in His way. I mean, sometimes life, as you know, uh, can get topsy-turvy. We have a way of thinking, well, I'm being blown off course, but I don't simply have the power to get back on course. Who can help me? God can. We need help because we live in the midst of wicked men. That's the point of verses 19-22. to The threat here is those within and without the covenant community. Essentially, they are disloyal to God. They cannot comprehend who He is. Some of them shed blood. Others are pretenders. But David and likewise, we should reject this way. We should be loyal to God. And His enemies should be our enemies because we are loyal to Him. The petition includes for God to test our motives and thoughts for disloyalty, for they are dangerous. It's very sad to me that on occasion, not like you, I run across people who Say, well, I've been in church, I tried it, it doesn't work for me, so I'm I'm out of here. Well, you see, when you watch people slowly disengage. Well, how can that be? Well, I mean, I understand. People go through lots of competing forces and temptations in life, and sometimes it's very easy to disengage. All your friends are saying, you do what on Sunday morning? Forget that. Come on, there's no such thing as God. Just join us. And so David, let's look at David's prayer. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Saying, God, test me. I know that because of my fallenness, I too perhaps can consider defecting. So he's acknowledging a danger within him that even though we are redeemed by the power of God and know His Son, we are still capable of lots and lots of bad things. David is essentially saying, God, circumvent what I know sometimes is in my heart. Check my motives, God. To make sure that I'm loyal to You regardless of the circumstances of life. The prayer, therefore, is for purity of heart and motive to continue in the way of God. And for God to lead him in just that. I mean, look at the final concluding line. And lead me in the everlasting way. He's already acknowledged that that's what God does. God sets his hand upon those who are his. God leads and guides. God guides us by his counsel and his word. And we learn about it in church and in study and Bible reading. And then David concludes with it. Lead me in the everlasting way. Thousands of way in the world. Lots of them are the way to lostness and ruin. David says, God, You are great. Lead me in the everlasting way. It's a reminder that for us as Christians, God sets all of that in motion. At the cross. In Christ. God-man. And that in that, there is this overwhelming message That we are the sons of God, formed in the wombs of our mothers, birthed as an expression of his majestic art to live a purposeful life, a meaningful life, that Christ, the Son of God, makes us special. And he was so loyal to us, he went to the cross. And therefore, in times in which we run across competing ways, he whispers to us, stay loyal to me because I am loyal to you. It's the essence of the Gospel. He comes to rescue His own. I don't know if you're a Christian or not. Only God knows that. But I know that we become Christians by recognizing that apart from Christ, we are under a sentence of death. But believing in Christ, He gives to us the gift of eternal life. And then sets his spirit upon us to lead us in the everlasting way as the sons of God. And that he will faithfully, majestically, and triumphantly see us to the end of glory. Because, in David's words, we are the sons of God.